What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers. I am one of your hosts, George Terran. This is episode 139, which is stupid. What What are you doing? What People, what are you doing? Why are you listening to us? Well, we, we do things that, so that you don't have to. But anyway, um, I am joined with the man, the myth, the talent, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I'm fine and dandy. I think the question more accurately is what are we doing with our lives that we've been because this may say episode 139 at the bottom, but that disregards the before times. The before times, the time before, yes, the G and T era. <laughs> and it was probably a good, I don't know, 50 or 60 episodes of that, I'm guessing, maybe more. I think it was 68. Yeah, so we're pushing the 200 mark, technically. But we'll be releasing that on the, in the uh, DVD extras or something somewhere, I'm sure, in the future. <laughs> like, oh, my God, look how bad we were back then. We haven't changed. We haven't changed, no. <laughs> it really hasn't moved the dial a whole lot. And we haven't stopped. <laughs> you know what? People have come to expect a consistent level of quality from us. Yeah. Not a good level. Yeah. It's consistent. That's it. Exactly. That is it exactly. And there is comfort in that. I think so. <laughs> you, uh, you can watch us here. We can go, they've been doing this for 10 years almost. I could do yeah. better. And we are yeah. happy to provide that level of satisfaction and confidence. Exactly. We are there to give you a low benchmark so that when you sail past us, you think, yeah, I'm a winner. <laughs> so, um, George has just been telling me that he this week is, of course, the, week, the launch week for... Elden Ring, I think, mm. is the hot new video game, I think the kids call them these days. Computer um, Electronical Entertainment System. system. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, I was just sort of noting that uh, it's, it, it's everywhere in my YouTube videos. Everyone seems very excited about it, mm. yet I'd never heard of it for about two weeks. So mm. it, it, on the one hand, I'm like, well, maybe I should be paying more attention. But also, it's kind of nice to see a video game come out or any kind of major entertainment mm -hmm. property that come out that isn't based on some sort of pre-existing ip that's very true very true only last week we had the sequel to horizon zero dawn on playstation uh, forbidden west um it's getting very good reviews but it's um it's nice to have a new property and yes for those who don't know um elden ring is co-created from an idea by george rr R. martin i was talking to travis about this just before the show um, obviously the creator of the Game of Thrones series, um, also known as A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, but it's produced and created by the people that did all the, the Dark Souls and Demon Souls and um, the games that relish in hating you. And so probably going to be very much along those lines as well. Definitely not my kind of game. I am a shit gamer. I, I don't like. We sort of, I think we're both in, in agreement on this. But I don't like a game that has to constantly remind me how bad I am at the game. Like, yeah, I already know that. You know, <laughs> I don't think getting my, my ass handed to me for you know endless times is fun. But you know, yeah, there was a game um, probably what three or four years ago now um, called Celeste. It was a two D side scrolling one, and it was very grueling, very hard. But at the same time, every time you died, it was an instant comeback. So you didn't feel like that, oh, fuck, another load screen kind of scenario. But at the same time, you you felt like, yeah, okay, I, I get what I did wrong. Whereas other times it's like, okay, I just don't know the rhythm of this bad guy. 
because I just spent the last 16 hours learning the rhythm of the last bad guy to beat him. And now my tactic is dodge, 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 hope that I hit. <laughs> I, it's, it's a, it's a, and it's a quiet taste in the world of gaming. And I have never acquired it, but you know, I, so I sort of saw the game. I was like, it probably won't run very well on my Xbox anyway. Um, so whatever. And now it sounds like it's going to be super, super fucking hard. So yeah, um, I, maybe, but I'll be interested. Do, do you, in your capacity as someone who sells these products, ever get to try them out? Um, occasionally, um, not often for Xbox. It's usually the PlayStation team that are a bit more kind of down with giving out free versions of the game to, to upper management members and things like that. But honestly, I don't even think I would go for it if I was given it just because I just know that it's not my kind of game. And I would play it for 10, 15 minutes and just go, yep, I see what you're doing here. Good for those who like it. Bye-bye. And I'll talk about, um, I'm going to be talking about Sea of Thieves a little bit more later on in the show because I've been jumping back into that. Um, but very much, there's, there's only a few kinds of games where I like that grueling nature i ge- generally like the arcadey feel of games a lot more that's just the kind of gamer i am nintendo in other words <laughs> no because see if these is not nintendo although i know i played see if these it must be a lot of fun with other players because it's no fun by yourself yeah um <laughs> i posted on uh, facebook just video of me um my friends eric and patrick we had just be no i'll say i'll save it for the for the second i'll save it for the second well, we do, we do, games are sort of part of what we do. But the other part of a show is obviously film. And should we start with, we've kind of been starting with a chain movie of late. Would you like to start yeah. there today? Yeah, absolutely. So chain movie, I was in charge of picking the chain movie following on from The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, the seminal masterpiece that it is. Um, we fi- followed Eli, Eli Wallach um, to a, a much, 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 much smaller role in the Roman Polanski 2010 movie, The Ghostwriter, starring Ewan McGregor, Pierce Brosnan, and Olivia Williams. Uh, this is a ghostwriter is hired to complete the memoirs of a former British prime minister who uncovers secrets that put his own life in jeopardy. Um, that pretty much sums it up. Um, it's got a fresh-faced cast in there of people that we now look at and kind of go, oh, yeah, you know, Ewan McGregor. Pierce Brosnan was already pretty big because of Bond. Olivia Williams is a solid actress that has got a good quality reputation to her. There's a young John Bernthal who, strangely, is almost unrecognizable with hair. He was, <laughs> but he looks so young. Yeah, he really did. He this is like out of uni. <laughs> this is just before he got his big break in uh, The Walking Dead, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and then the other kind of two big names were Kim Cattrall. She's quite prominent in the show. Um, and uh, the other one that was, again, kind of unrecognizable just because of the the type of role that it was, Jim Belushi. He actually, in, in, in a scene in which he absolutely steals. Yeah, he was really good in that. It's like, okay, where the hell's the rest of that talent been all your career? <laughs> uh, good question. And you don't see a lot of Jim anymore. He was a big star once upon a time. So... Yeah. Um, and I guess 
the elephant in the room here to talk about is the director vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is directed, of course, by Roman Polanski, mm-hmm. uh, director of some note. I think it's mm-hmm. worth pointing out an Academy Award winner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember. He won. He definitely won for the pianist. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's that is the only one he's won, I believe. Yeah, yeah. he got. Um, his- Nominated numerous times, like Chinatown, and um, I think I think Carnage got nominated a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, Rosemary's Baby, Chinatown, Tess, which I've never heard of, okay. and the pianist, uh, in which he actually won for. So mm-hmm. he's been nominated for five Oscars and won one, which is actually kind of a low number for someone as acclaimed mm. as Polanski. But I mean, as I said, the elephant in the room here is Roman Polanski. Um, this film is set in Maine, I think, New England. Yeah, uh, near Boston. Uh, it is absolutely, I mean, I don't think for a second it fooled me, but I mean, this is the second time I saw it. I saw it when it came out. Mm. I instantly knew that's not North America. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's just like, no, that's not America. Um, they, was- they don't exactly explain it as America either. And I was very confused, um, to start with because, like, um, he lands, um, uh, Ewan McGregor's character. Um, who is whose name is uh, he doesn't have a name, he's just called the ghost. Oh, yeah. So the ghost arrives on the plane and then he's in a car and he's going through things. And I remember thinking, wait, why are they driving on the wrong side of the road? (laughs) And Um, then I realized, oh, wait, they've gone to other places in the world. All right, (laughs) I think at one point he talks about going to Boston or something, so I, yeah. And they were in New York initially, and he talks about not you know, tripping down in New York and Washington DC. So I think it's supposed it's supposed to be the northeast of America, but just just don't you like that's not the United States. It just doesn't look like the United mm. States. Like even I've not been to that part of the country, um, yeah. so I couldn't speak personally from where it looks. It's just no, that looks like Europe. And yes, it was filmed in Germany, yeah. uh, and this loops back around to Roman Polanski can't film in the United States. He couldn't turn up in two thousand and four to collect his Academy Award because he is a wanted man yeah. um, for um, raping a 13-year-old, drugging and raping a 13-year-old girl when he was back in the 70s or something. I'm not exactly sure when it happened, to be honest. Yeah. But um, And he, I believe, don't quote me on this, may have actually edited this film whilst under house arrest um, in uh, what was um, almost certainly quite a luxurious palatial mansion somewhere in mm-hmm. Switzerland, I think he was in at the time. Yeah. Um, but basically, he can't return to the United States. Um, yeah. I think that's the extent of his um, uh, allegations. So it could be wrong. There's always more. Yeah. Uh, here we go. So in October 17, a woman named Renate Langer interviewed so Swiss police said Polanski raped her when she was 15 in 1972. That same month, Marianne Barnard accused Polanski of having assaulted her in 1975 when she was 10 years old. Um, yes. So um, 1977, the original case, Rab Polanski was arrested for sexual assault at mm-hmm. 13-year-old Samantha Gailey. And uh, I'm naming her because she has actually come out publicly and spoken about it herself. That's mm-hmm. why her name's on the public record. Interestingly, mm-hmm. though, I believe she's could have come out and said, I'm over it, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think rather than actually facing justice in the United States, he fled the country to mm-hmm. Europe. And why exactly Europe doesn't see that as a big deal is an interesting question. Uh, and that's probably a rabbit hole to go down after the show because I don't know the answer to that. 
Yeah. But <laughs> I, I think, all that is to say, he's a highly controversial figure, and that's me being exceedingly yeah. polite. The guy probably can be safely described as a rapist piece of shit. Um, so I guess the caveat to all that is how much... I don't think you can forget about that when you watch this film. Um, I think this is a high-quality film, and this is what Polanski <laughs> does exceedingly well and has done exceedingly well as a film director throughout his career that sense of tension and paranoia that that, that is all pervasive through this story and that's he's always done that well and he continues to do that well through this film but i found it very difficult to to forget all the way through film just because i said it's supposed to be north america and it quite obviously is not um it i could hand it the difficult to forget that this film the film i was watching was directed by a rapist who never answered for his crimes the fact that his you know most well-known victim has decided she didn't have a problem with him continuing direct films and wants Mm -hmm. to move past it i'm i don't want to again that's that's a conversation for another time and no i wouldn't question her but at the same time i can't forget what i know about this guy yeah it's I had the same same issue. Like the the quality of the performances, uh, particularly from the main four, I guess you'd say of Ewan McGregor, Pierce Brosnan, Olivia Williams, and Kim Cattrall to to a lesser extent, are all really solid. They they nail their characters. They give them depth. They give them each gravitas and vulnerability throughout their performances as well. So they are very well complex created characters, and the story itself is still relevant. The, the, the idea of holding um, someone of such a high um, esteem and estate as the Prime Minister of the UK accountable for these things directly is very, 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 very important. So the, the message that kind of comes across with that is important, and it's, I think it's aged better. Um, than when it first came out. I remember this This kind of came out and it, there were a lot of people who kind of went, oh, this is a little bit of elbow in the ribs for Tony Blair. And it's like very that. Tony Blair, yeah. yeah 100%. Is it obviously inspired by that. But having that little bit of distance from it as well, it actually gives it a little bit of gravitas. And you said it yourself, Polanski is very good at building that tension and that, that, that feeling. And he brings that through a lot of silence and quiet. And that's what we've had for the last uh, 12 years since the movie came out of no one, apart from Trump, really, no one has really been called to to be accountable. And even then it was kind of like, well, that shit didn't really stick at this point. So fuck it. But the, the point is still very valid, I think. And yet, in spite of all of that great stuff, I didn't want to finish watching it because I didn't want to invest that time into Polanski. I don't know that I invested a whole lot of time in him. I just know the story. Um, I literally had to now look up the year the assault happened. No, I, I just, uh, I just mean that that I have spent my time consuming a Polanski product when I know what fucking shit he's done and there are brands that I do not buy or will not go to because they fucked me uh, in one way or another. It's like, okay, I feel like I'm stabbing myself in the back a little bit by doing this. 
I don't know. What do you mean by doing this? Like by, by talking about the film or having seen no, it? No, by, by actually watching it and kind of going back and re-watching a Polanski movie. Because this is speaking to that conversation we've had a number of times now. I think we had it the first time mm. when that documentary about Michael Jackson came out a few years ago. Was it? Mm. I don't know what it was called, but where mm. it had the, basically those two young two now young men who mm. had some very credible allegations and very detailed allegations of abuse that yeah. suffered at Michael Jackson's hands, and we had that long conversation about you know, separating art from the artist. Yeah, um, and I kind of feel like. Well, it's a continuing. It's got even worse, and it went worse. It's become more prominent since mm. then, as the Me Too movement sort of became more prominent with it. And you start to learn things like, you know, we've talked about how it's hard to enjoy a Kevin Spacey film anymore without going, "Fuck that guy." Yeah. Uh, or you know, does that extend to? I guess fortunately, we don't see Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein, in the yeah. film that he made, so that makes it maybe a little easier to enjoy him because it's not. In your mm. face, but you see that Weinstein Pictures logo, the Weinstein Company logo at the start of a film. You're like, oh yeah. yeah. Um, to people like uh, Marilyn Manson, stories about him have come out in the last twelve months or so, which makes me has made me to go through and delete a lot of his music off um, yeah. my playlist and stuff. And it just, you're like, I can't. I guess I've come to the conclusion that I'm a lot more sensitive to that kind of thing than I think a lot of people are. Mm. I have friends who. I actually find it a little hypocritical, personally. The friends that so would um, would be have a lot to say about someone who's you know what should happen to pedophiles in the general community who aren't you know global superstars, but we're quite happy to look the other way, or not look the other way necessarily, but they can still listen to Michael Jackson music without too much yeah. of a worry. And look, yeah. that's up to them, really. It's I just think it's a strange position to have. Mm. Um, personally, I might, but. You know, at the same time, I know I actually saw or read a, a couple of reviews of this, or, or sorry, watched a review on YouTube of this where they talked about that. Like they said, doing it, beat it, still a great song, but Michael Jackson was a pedophile. Yeah. Um, some people can make that, can can rule a line through those two things quite happily. I, I struggle with that, and I really struggle with this film. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact, as you sort of said, Ewan McGregor is amazing in this. Mm-hmm. This is one of his better roles um, in that period, which is probably a a bit of a lay period for him. Kim Cattrall in a rare adult role. Um, mm. I didn't know she was British. I forgot she was British. Um, <laughs> so good to see her doing her original accent again. <laughs> it's um, a bit like um, when Christian Bale actually puts on a British accent. It's like, oh, yeah. shit, yeah. <laughs> That's right. He's Welsh. Um, uh, and he's sort of, I mean, Pierce Brosnan was made for this role. He, you know, he was so perfect yeah. in the role of Adam Lang. And Olivia Williams, and I think she, I actually kind of look at her, mm, I know I've seen her in stuff. But you look for her her actual, you know, uh, filmography, you're like, no. No, I don't think I've seen much of his stuff, of anything. But she was wonderful as um, Ruth Lang. Yeah. Uh, and so you got that, 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 that for the heart of it, like you said. They're acting their hearts out. You've got a director who... If we sort of say everything else we know about him, he says he's at the top of his game. The film, mm. aside from the fact that it kind of, like I said, never for a second looks like North America, he actually looks pretty good otherwise. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the um, sort of the uh, claustrophobia of this yeah. island that they're on, and just the fact that they've cast it as being on it or sort of set it on an island mm. somehow makes it feel a little bit more claustrophobic, like they're yeah. stuck there, right? It's um. There were, there were just little little points that kind of made it feel 
improve that sensation of dread for the ghost writer. Like when he um, is in the garage and the guy is kind of like, oh, no, just take the car. It's like, no, I'm going to take the bike. And then it gets stuck in the mud almost straight away. It's like, that's a perfect little human moment that just makes you go, oh, yeah, he's kind of fucked. <laughs> he can't get away. Um, all of that aside, I, I just found this a very difficult watch as a result. Like, um, and it makes it a very difficult film for me to recommend to anyone. I mean, mm. it, it, it took a little bit of digging up, frankly. It's not one that gets around a lot anymore. Um, it's on Stan. Is it really? I don't have Stan anymore. That's why. It's on Stan. Um, and much like you, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, maybe all of the positives outweigh the negative, but I don't like the idea of judging his actions like that. That's just gross. And it's, it's, it's a difficult one. It's a bit like Woody Allen these days. I, I kind of talk about them in the same category, but I suspect Woody may be even more persona non grata than mm -hmm. Roman Polanski. It's interesting. You see, he's managed to get a number of big stars to continue to star in his products. I mean, this is 2010. This is 12 years ago. We were well aware of what was going on. And like I said, in 2009, he was actually in jail for these crimes um, in, in Switzerland. So, um, not, like, like the cast of these people didn't know that 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 had all come up again. Um, and he's made he's continued to make films subsequently, not films that get anywhere near the, the publicity of even something like Ghostwriter anymore. Mm. Um, but he still makes films and people he can still attract talent to be in them. But I don't think Woody can do that anymore. There's that film that had Timothy Chalamet in it, I think, a couple of years ago. And I think they all came out and, and said, Yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I just feel like, uh, I don't know, I, if I was a, a ten, I remember Harrison Ford turned up in Europe to actually give him his Academy Award for The Pianist. Um, mm -hmm. And I just wonder how people square that circle. I mean, with Roman Polanski, maybe it's the Manson thing. Does he get a little bit of credit for that from people? I, I don't know. It... it this is probably the heart, one of the first times I've had this experience where I really mm. had to, I mean, I don't even think I was aware in 2010 as I am now mm. of, of the extent of his offending. I think, you know, there was this vague notion he was some sort of you know, fugitive and it was vaguely in the news from time to time, but I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it. And having learned a little bit more about what he did, um, I struggled to enjoy yeah. this. And I would struggle to recommend it, which is a shame. Because he said it is a highly topical, highly effective, tense political drama. Mm. Um, and you can take that for what it's worth. If you enjoy that kind of film, then you might want to check it out. But the big asterisk next to it is, like we've said all along here, it was directed by a criminal and yeah. you know, a, a, a coward mm -hmm. and, you know, a, a man who never felt, ne felt, ne felt it necessary to truly answer yeah. for his crimes or um at least you know turn up and you know, go to trial and have his day in court that kind of thing and if that kind of thing might bother you you know just keep that in mind but i guess if you've got stan it ain't going to cost you anything extra to start watching the first 20 minutes and you might find yourself you might find a story you know distracting enough to kind of you know uh, ignore it for re re the runtime and then take a shower afterwards <laughs> Yeah, it's it's true, and it's genuinely 
like I have in the in the last few years I've gone back and I've seen like seven and I've seen American Beauty and I've listened to Michael Jackson movie but uh, music but for some reason I just felt it more in this film and I I guess the thing with Michael Jackson is I mean if I'm not saying if he comes on the radio I switch the radio off you know like yeah I mean actually I probably would I'm not a huge fan um but you know I'm not saying you should run the other direction to get away from this kind of thing uh, yeah. I'm just saying we actually sort this film out yeah and I I blocked blocked out a few hours on on Monday morning to sit down and watch the thing and I just kind of felt like maybe it was that commitment of time to it as opposed to that's mm. a Michael Jackson song on the radio or yeah you, you turn tell Spotify just play some music please and it picks the algorithm picks yeah. some Michael Jackson or something like that um that's a little bit different because you i guess you're not actively engaging in it or you're not actively seeking it out for the most part um it's it's a difficult to explain exactly but for mm. some reason like you i'm sorry to derail the whole freaking review here today sorry people if you're looking for an in-depth pertinent to to the review of it because yeah we've watched stellar movies last week we watched one of the greatest movies ever put to film we have watched absolute filthy horrible terrible movies we have run the gamut and this one this one has been arguably the hardest just because of the director and it's i just don't know why this is sprung out so much so i think it is for anyone who actually listens to us kind of review these and take that into account when you consider watching a movie i think that is pertinent i mean and it, and it comes down to again i sort of said earlier you know what your tolerance is for this kind of thing yeah um you and i both know shay who you still share a house with mm. literally won't see a film with tom cruise in it because she thinks she's a bit he's a bit weird Mm. Uh, and, you know, it's actually surprising the amount of people I talk to who have a no Tom Cruise policy or a minimum Tom Cruise policy. For, yeah. like, for such a big actor, like, I'll tell a lot of people who are like, yeah, nah, mate, I'm, <laughs> I'm good. Um, whereas I, I don't necessarily, I think, I think Tom's fine. Tom yeah. has, I mean, for being a bit of a weird dude, you know, and for some out there rumours, yeah. I'm not aware of anything particularly unsavoury being said about Tom other yeah. than he's a Scientologist, which is in itself unsavory um don't sue us um please um but Suddenly our viewership has gone up to ten thousand. <laughs> uh you know what is that what it takes to get an audience this to church um <laughs> but, but so it's funny to meet the amount of people oh he's a weirdo i won't watch tom cruise movies but we'll still happily enjoy michael jackson's music you're gonna go one of these things is not like the other guys but you know yeah. what you're you know exactly. in yourself what your tolerance is for these sort of things you can go Look, all right, maybe Michael Jackson was a child molester, but he still wrote some amazing music, and I, in, in my brain, can make that comfortable delineation between great art and a horrible artist. Yeah. Um, you can hear from us, we struggle with that on this one, and I guess maybe I feel like I struggle with that more than a lot of people. At least my level of tolerance for their, their kind of bullshit is lower than a lot of other people. So yeah. you know in yourself what you can handle, and keep that in mind if you're picking to watch it. Other than if we could ignore all of that, this is a highly effective film, um, very relevant, as you sort of said, 
Um, uh, and a great ending. I love the ending of this. What did you think of the ending? I really liked it. I saw it coming. I mean, obviously I've seen it before, but at the same time, it, the movie still felt, felt fresh to me when I watched it. But I couldn't really imagine a scenario where the, the, the twists and turns and the revelations that go through the movie, I won't reveal them now because I think if you do want to watch it, that roller coaster is very worthwhile. Um, the the powers involved and the the level that the ghostwriter, the depths of water he finds himself trying to survive in. What happens at the end is is inevitable, um, but it's it fit the story, it fit the narrative, it fit the um, the telling of the story, and it fit, fit the cautionary tale and that that paranoia into it as well i don't think that if it had been any other kind of ending it would have felt cheap and it would have cheapened the whole movie just by proxy so i really liked it i thought it was a little convenient um in the sense that i would have to spoil the ending to actually say why i thought it was a little bit convenient um other than to say that we can talk about it it was, it was fine it suited the yeah. film but at the same time you kind of like how did that happened, you know, when, yeah. Um, it was very convenient timing, that's for sure. Um, it, yeah, I, I dug I dug the story. I dug the acting. I just, yeah, it just felt icky afterwards. Yeah. Enjoyment. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, the ickiness continued through the day. Watch a Disney film to wash it all off, you know. Um, <laughs> There's nothing past a certain date that far back and you'll be fine. <laughs> Fair call. Yeah. They, um, no, yeah. Like, oh, I'm dirty now. Hmm, Nazi Superman are our superiors. Just, sounds <laughs> Just don't mention Song of the South. My lips All right. So any other thoughts uh, you wanted to say on Ghost Rider or... Are you revealing where we're going next? In I was I, I was very disappointed. Uh, I think some people might have been disappointed if they, if they weren't listening closely to last week's of a film you suggested. They may have been expecting us to sit here this week and talk about a guy riding a motorcycle with a flaming skull. Um, you know, uh, I was halfway through the film and he hadn't even turned up yet. Like, I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. I really needed to make sure that I was enunciating the T. Right. Writer, yes. Um, yes, because Ghost Rider, that would be a... Um, yes, I've seen that film before, no thank you. If you watched Ghost Rider 2 for a, um, for, on the old GNT podcast, that was yeah. worse. Now, yeah. other than that, other than the lack of flaming skulls, motorcycle riders, that is all. Yeah. So, where are we off to next? Um, well, I have two things to talk about. One, I will be picking our next film, and we are actually going to follow... The, mm -hmm. I, I had so many choices here. It was a plethora of choices. Um, I, I did consider following Kim Cattrall to Mannequin, considering you had the joy of watching Mannequin 2 a few months ago. I figured you might enjoy completing the set because you were probably curious. No, I'm okay. Um, no, she was also in Baby Geniuses in 1999, which is a 2.7 at IMDb. You hate me, sir. You hate yeah. me. You clearly hate me. <laughs> the problem with both of those suggestions is I would have to watch it too. Um, and Baby Geniuses, I watched for a trailer and I'm like, no. <laughs> That'll do. That'll do, pig. That'll do. Um, so I think this week what I've decided to do, 
I decided to be kind to us, but I'm going to try and go a little bit different, something I've not seen before. Okay. Um, and we're going to follow the great Jim Belushi. And we're going way back to 1981, where we will be seeing Michael Mann's Thief. Thief? Thief. Thief. Oh, Thief. Okay. Thief. Oh, That's geez. a Tarantino film. Yeah. <laughs> An wants to do one last big heist for the mob before going straight. Yeah. So this is directed by Michael Mann, the great Michael Mann, starring James Kahn, uh, Jim Belushi, Willie Nelson, and <laughs> Dennis Farina. So I think there's a few options uh, you should find a way out of this film. You know, how, how did you not pick Canadian Bacon? The idea crossed my mind. That is Michael Moore's only ever feature film. He directed that. Um, I, I think we should be happy he decided to stick to documentaries. Yeah, yeah, probably. probably. I, I did consider the Schwarzenegger film he did. Was it Red Heat? I can't remember. Um, oh, God. But this, this has a 7.4 on IMDb and a 78 Metascore. So um, it okay. seems like an interesting film. Based on a novel by Frank Hoemer called The Home Invaders. Can't say I know a lot about it. I'd never heard of it before, but yeah. it seems to have a good um, a, a heritage. Uh, Michael Mann's always an interesting director you'd like to check out. This is yeah. very early in his career. Um, yeah. But um, we will see, and we'll see if I've made a bad choice. Maybe I should have gone for Baby Geniuses. But we have had a yeah. request from a viewer. <gasps> Goodness me. What happened? They do happen. We've had a, a, a request from a, a, a viewer who has requested to remain anonymous. Mm -hmm. um, I guess they just didn't want the deluges of fan mail, but it'll come their way after. Oh, my God. So-and-so listens to Armchair Producers? Um, so we have two films to watch next week because we've always said, if you mm -hmm. want our thoughts on something, we yeah. take requests. So if, if we had The Beast a while ago. It was a, quite a while ago. Uh, we had a viewer uh, write really? in ask us to see the beast um and you know so you can do the same thing you can find us on our facebook page you can find mm -hmm. us on the twitters um uh so or you can jump into the live stream which is usually around about 7 30 uh p.m australian eastern time mm -hmm. and you can you can uh, find us on twitch or youtube there and you can actually come in and ask the question here if you listen to the podcast or ask us the um the, let us know what film you'd like to see um but we have our request from our anonymous viewer is to watch the Netflix exclusive Lost Daughter. The Lost Daughter. The Lost Daughter. Okay. This should be available. It's directed, written and directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh. Huh. Oh. Starring Olivia Coleman and Yeah. This has been getting some good reviews. It's been nominated for three Oscars. Yeah. Um, so uh, including uh, two acting Oscars, uh, for one for Jesse Buckley, one for Olivia Coleman, and Best Adapted Screenplay for Maggie Gyllenhaal. So, Jessie Buckley, if you don't know who she is, she was in that movie that came out really super weird, Charlie Kaufman film, what came out last year, I'm Thinking of Leaving. Oh, um, yeah. And, um, of course, Olivia Coleman, probably best known recently for her role in The Crown, yeah. among a multitude of other things. She was in The Father with the, the film that Anthony Hopkins won the award for last year. Mm -hmm. um, the Favourite. Um, was she in Doctor Who or something? She was, yes. 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 
I, I don't know. I don't, it's been a long time. I feel like she was. Oh, she was in The Night Manager as well. That was a cool show. That was. Good, yeah. Anyway, so we do take requests. This has been a request. So we will live up to, we are men of our word. We mm-hmm. will find time this week to watch it. Um, and we will be back next week to talk about The Lost Daughter. We do also actually have another request, but we will do it. Uh, I will announce it and we will watch it for the following week. Um, what from one Siren Divine? They did um, actually make a recommendation and they gave very good reasoning why we should. And the, the movie, which Travis doesn't even know what this movie is. Um, if baby Geniuses, I'm going to be very upset. No, it's not Baby Geniuses. It is baby Geniuses too. probably a kid's movie. But the content, when put into context, that raises some interesting questions. So okay. that, is, that is a little tease for next week's reveal. All righty. Well, um, but, but keep them coming, people. Like I said, we, we are happy Please to take it. requests. Uh, and if you've got a, a backstory, even better. <laughs> now then, um, let us move on to other things. What should we talk about? The film, the other film we've both seen in the last week which is Nightmare Alley. Yes, please. Now, I believe you went to see this at the Nova in black and white, yes? I did, yes. I saw the standard release version in colour, so I'll be uh, interested. If you're a, a, it is available in the States on one of the streaming services, I think uh, it is available here at the movies in Australia because well, yes. we don't have well, all the streaming services yet. It's just about still available at the movies. It's very, very hard to find. I believe they're actually doing a week or a small short season of this at the Astor, the black and white version that you saw. Oh, I highly recommend it for anyone. Um, the the cinematographer, um, whose name I am going to look up because he does a fucking amazing job. Um, where is it? Here we go. Um but uh, cast Get Dan Lauston. Uh, yes, Dan Lauston. He came out and said, "Yeah, the black and white version it feels like a different movie," and I can believe that very much so. Uh, and Dan Lauston is a man of um, some pedigree. Yeah, well, it looks like a regular of Del Toro's, having worked mm-hmm. on The Shape of Water mm-hmm. and Crimson Peak. Mm-hmm. And how, who could forget his work on 2003's The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? We watched ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we won't hold him responsible for that. No. Um, so for those who don't know what Nightmare Alley is, if you've not been on in the know, an ambitious carny for talent for manipulating people with a few well-chosen words hooks up with a female psychiatrist who is even more dangerous than he is. This is written and directed by Guillermo del Toro based on the novel by William Lindsay Gresham, and it might be a, an explanation as to what I thought of this film, that this arrived in the mail today. Uh, so, Okay, here we go. Now, William Lindsay Gresham, uh, that that name rings a bell. This man, I think, is the, the ultimate uh, noir writer. He killed himself in a rundown motel room in New York where he had registered under the name Asa Kimball of Baltimore. The only tribute paid to him in the New York Times came from the bridge jump, the bridge columnist. Um, he was an alcoholic and, and abusive to his wife, Joy Davidman, as well as their children. Joy wow. eventually fled to England with their children, where she conducted a long-term love affair with author C.S. Lewis, whom she eventually married. Um, so um, 
it's um it's a hell of a story um the guy sounded like a complete wreck but if you're going to write write sort of noirish you know uh, sort of books like this then yeah I think that's the perfect place to have um yeah that's a great backstory yeah because i don't actually know any of his other books but i just feel like i knew that name i don't know it's that familiar didn't it but when i jumped onto we were watching it and i jumped on amazon and this was like 12 dollars. so which you know to maybe americans you're like what the hell that's not much but yeah that's not a lot but like that's cheap for a book in his country even from amazon um we get ripped off ladies and gentlemen this book is also still on amazon I think your book might be more expensive somehow, but like um twelve dollars? No, I think it's the same price. Okay. Um I was a little surprised. Like we get ripped off for just about everything in this country. We pay the Australia tax because we Australia. So but I was I was very pleased. I'm very curious to read it after having seen the film. So the stars, this is stars that are cast. Bradley Cooper plays Stanton Carlisle, Kate Blanchett, the psychologist, uh Dr. Lilith Ritter. Tony Collette as Zena Vestia, Willem Dafoe, Rooney Mara, Ricky Jenkins, Ron Perlman, Mary Steenburgen, David Strathairn. Um, it's 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 a brilliant cast. Tim Blake Nelson's in here as well. Yeah, You'll probably know his face. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. Holt Macalani, who probably everybody knows best as the mechanic from Fight Club. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, um, is, he is pop, pop. possibly Del Toro's most star-studded cast. Um, and he's another one of these guys who has people he works with. Mm. You know, Burton has his crew. Mm-hmm. You know, Fincher has his guys. Tarantino has his guys. Now Del Toro, he has his guys too. Yeah, but um, the this movie really rests on Bradley Cooper's shoulders, and. I've never, I've, you know, Bradley Cooper has always been fine as an actor for me. He's like attractive, he's handsome, he knows how to be funny and charismatic and things like that. And he has done some serious roles like American Sniper, which got him a lot of um, attention. But I never bothered to watch that. It's not my kind of movie. I will get around you to check it out. It's a good film. It's not mm-hmm. what you think it is. Yeah. But this movie, I my God. no i will i will get around to it at some point but this movie my goodness it is a roller coaster for him and especially the end shot of this movie wow it's he he just fucking he's painting to the edges of the screen with his emotions as he plays through them all it is sublime performance and that that final shot and the the way that we see him in that final shot it is i'm hesitant to say it because it has a lot of weight but it is a perfect moment of performance and in what can only be described as a scandal Mm. this has received no acting nominations fuck me this has been nominated for Best Motion Picture of the Year, but somehow Del Toro has not been not been given a nod for Best Director. It's probably because you can. I think there's ten motion yeah. Best Picture nominees. So anyway, um, explain that to me. Mm-hmm. But um, Best Cinematography, Costume Design, and Production Design, all of which it'll probably 
have a real good shot of winning, I would have thought. Yeah, Don't this... think it'll win best motion picture because they'll give it to some boring art house piece of shit about someone pointing at an orange or something. But um, the dog, I think, is the kind. I, I, I should get around to watching it, but you know how I feel about westerns. Yeah, and, <laughs> um, it's... and maybe it's very good. I don't. But it's kind of a scandal, like because there's mm. some insane performances in this film, as you sort of noted there. Bradley Cooper. Um, we meet Bradley Cooper in a deserted farmhouse. Uh, mm-hmm. hauling a body into a hole in the floor and then setting the place on fire. Talk and, about sort of, and just from that point, you're like, I'm very curious about this character. He yeah. ends up stumbling across a traveling circus, which yeah. he finds temporary work, which then becomes ongoing work, mm-hmm. during which point he actually works with the traveling mentalists, I guess mm-hmm. you all the, the, the psychics, played mm-hmm. by Tony Collette and David Strathairn as Pete. Um, and they teach him the, the ropes, the tricks, and he has a natural uh, inclination or talent towards mm-hmm. mentalism. And th- he helps them out in their act. He actually ends up falling in love with Molly, mm-hmm. who's a fellow former, who is the, um, I don't know what you call her, and she does a trick with electricity. Electrocutionist? <laughs> Electri- electricity girl? I don't know. Um, and they end up putting together, they end up leaving the circus together, and he becomes. Well, one might say a psychic, one might say a grifter. Yeah. Um, let's just talk a little bit about the time in the in the, the circus because we've got some fantastic performances there. David Strathairn as Pete was absolutely gorgeous. Such a wonderful broken man with the weight of fear and the the, the power that he knows that he is playing with with manipulating people um versus the the torturous thing of him just always drinking and um his his tenuous relationship with tony collette zena they they're a fantastic just deep well of history of a relationship that we only tangentially get to see but fuck those two on the screen together and particularly um where he, uh, David Strathairn kind of starts introducing his little book to um, Bradley Cooper's character. It's just, that's a performance worthy of, of nomination. It was just, just beautiful. Uh, and you mentioned uh, Australia's arguably greatest living actress, Trini Collette, uh, as Xena. Uh, I mm-hmm. felt she was a nicely understated but you know and, and not a lot of screen time she did mm. a lot with that character we saw a lot of different sides of her became quite a well-rounded person mm. and character for someone who had half an hour on screen maybe if that and yeah. well, none of those solo like pretty much all of those shared with somebody yeah. else yeah um and of course the arguable the other arguably greatest living australian actress kate blanchett um <laughs> absolutely destroys in the you know the half, half hour or so Mm-hmm. that she has on screen as well. So mm-hmm. um, I can't recall who got the Best Actress nominations this year, but I, mm-hmm. I hope they must be very, very good if they passed over both of these performances for um, Best Supporting and Best Actress. I would have thought Kate Blanchett had a pretty good case for, for Best Actress. But, I mean, maybe I wonder if they look at it and they go, she's already got two. They yeah. never stop them with Meryl Streep. I guess so. But, you know, she just keeps owning on. She's like, and she's like arguably this generation's Meryl Streep. Yeah, kind of. 
Um, so the nominees for um, Best Actress, you've got uh, Jessica Chastain for The Eye of Tammy Faye, Kristen Stewart for Spencer, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos, and Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers. I've seen Nicole Kidman's uh, performance, and she was very good. So, of course, they're probably all very good. Mm. I'm a little surprised that um, Kristen Stewart got a nomination, considering she has the range, uh, acting range of his mug. But, you know, um, maybe that's what you needed to play. And anyway, someone who can literally, who has that much range is like, okay, well, that that fits for someone who was part of the royal family for a while, sure. I was going to say, maybe having the range of a a ceramic mug fit the role of (laughs) Diana perfectly, considering that was kind of her personality. Um, Mm. I'm going to get destroyed in the line for that one because if I had any following, so... um, (laughs) Oh man, people like that woman. Um, anyway, but I, I thought he, that was yeah super, super unlucky for Ivory Rose and probably also Rooney Mara in a role of Molly. Mm-hmm. Um, but she very unexpected role for her. Very Defoe as Clem, the uh, I guess the freak show, the owner of the geek holder, if you will. Yes, um, he has a, a freak show in the uh, carnival where he throws displays what he calls a geek or a, a man slash monster it's the flowers raw chickens and uh, and um he is marvelously amoral yeah um, uh, had one of the most important scenes of a film when he drops the geek of oh, the geek is injured and he drops it off at a like a, a charity a hospital or something. Or something. yeah it's salvation army or something mm. um and has this amazing conversation well one of the better parts of foreshadowing in the film yeah, um, with um, Bradley Cooper Stan, but Willem Dafoe is just kicking goals at the moment. Like he is absolutely just kicking ass and taking names. I talked about yeah. him a few weeks ago in the Card Counter. Mm-hmm. Of course, we saw him again, just chewing the scenery as as Green Goblin and just yep. showing yep. you that he still is the best Spider-Man villain we've had. Yeah. Um, going back to the Lighthouse a couple of years ago, which yeah, okay, I didn't love it, but he was pretty good in it. Yeah, he's he's. He he knows he is he's kind of like someone who actually knows where the lines are versus Nicole uh, Nicholas Cage. They they're kind of cut from the same cloth. There's all of their characters are a little bit fucking weird. Whereas Nicholas Cage just kind of goes, I'm gonna push this as far as I can fucking go. And sometimes it creates just gold, and other times it's just a lot of fucking weird. Willem Dafoe kind of almost knows where the line is for that mainstream success. It's like, I'm pushing it right to here, and it's going to be weird, but you're going to appreciate the effort here as well. You're right. He doesn't, he doesn't push it so far, but it becomes almost self-parody. Yeah. But yeah. that said, I definitely need to see a film with those two guys in it. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would be so good. Um, so this is a, this is a very skillful film from a director at the height of his powers. Yeah. Um, look, I don't know. This is not going to gross the kind of do the kind of numbers that hasn't and won't do numbers that something like Hellboy did. Um, but there's all sorts of stuff going on in this film and in this screenplay, which with a bit of careful attention, I think will it will reward the careful viewing. It will reward repeated viewings it will reward someone who can actually pay attention to what's going on um, beyond the central story of a central plot line. 
Yeah. Um, it will reward viewers also have a little bit maybe more film knowledge or mytho- mythological, shall I use there's a word. Um, if you have a bit of an understanding of mythology and biblical themes, then mm. you're probably going to get a lot out of it. I should yeah. note, being a complete moron, I probably have fairly minimal understanding of biblical references, um, you know, uh, other than, you know, obviously in Jack Arcia, where the use of Johnny Knoxville as a Christ figure, that was obvious. Um, but <laughs> stuff like it was pointed out to me um, by Michelle, who was watching it with me, uh, mm. that um, uh, Lilith is uh, is a, an important name in, in biblical uh, biblical history, if you will. The character of Lilith was the first wife of Adam and supposedly the primordial she-demon. She was cited as having been banished from the Garden of Eden for not complying and disobeying Adam. And so um, Kate Blanchett's character in this film is named Lilith. Um, interestingly, she's Kate Blanchett will also be playing Lilith in the Borderlands movie that comes out at some mm. point. Um, uh, I suggest you'll see significantly less nuance and biblical themes in Borderlands, just for record. Um, well, I think uh, that's I don't. I don't think speaking on your part. I don't know, but but Lilith does have red hair in 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 Borderlands, so you know she didn't cross someone with red hair. Um, well, I don't know if I'd say that, but <laughs> <laughs> someone who named Lilith with red sexy hair for their own good, damn it. Um, if somebody called Lilith with red hair, who you know is you know uh, portraying a she demon, you know, uh, you're probably worth a question. Um, so, but considering her role in the story, um, I, I think that I don't that that's definitely not by accident. I don't know whether that comes from the author. I don't know if that comes from Gil Tor- Del Toro. Yeah. Um, other things like uh, during later in the film, uh, a certain character escaping and you know hiding away in the train. Mm-hmm. Take that for. And in a number of different ways. Um, I'm not going to spoil it for people. And no. it probably won't make any sense if you haven't seen it. But yeah, stuff like that will be rewarded. There's also some of the way fr- film shots of frame. There's a shot early in the film where Bradley Cooper is taking a bath. And there's a small circular mirror to the front left of him. And then the later shot, um, there's a, he's also framed by a smaller round mirror at the front of the left of him. But there's also a big, large mirror right behind it, and he's reflected in both those mirrors. Now, mm. I, I'm pretty stupid, so you can come up with your own conclusions about what that actually says in the context of a film if you yeah. see it. But um, Del Toro's doing a lot here, which you may not immediately notice. Mm. So I actually yes. watched this yeah. twice on the weekend, and I can tell you it was better the second time around. That that was my first thought. Um, as soon as it started rolling I think I blinked maybe four times throughout the whole movie because it was just stunning. Um, and I came out of it and I said, I want to see it again now and I want to see it in colour because I want to see what I missed. And I am going to hunt this down. There, there, are only, there are a few movies that I will buy on physical media anymore, but this is one of them because this is sublime even like we we talked about when running through the cast we talked about mary steeburgen her character maybe three minutes of time five minutes of time and what she does with it and how this how that goes and how it informs the story fuck so good this is so the, the, the scene you're thinking with the scene we're both thinking of including uh, involving mary steenbergen's mrs kimball 
yeah. came out of the clear blue sky. Yeah. And it was like, wow. It really, and I think that's maybe also worth pointing out here is that some people might think of Del Toro and think violence, horror films, scary, mm-hmm. blood guts, whatever. Yeah. At the very least, unnerving images. If you think of something like Pan's Labyrinth, well, yeah. I don't know it's necessarily a violent film or a gory film, but there was some violence in it from what I recall. Yeah, but, there's the, the uh, him bottling that guy in the face and you just see it caved in and stuff. Yeah. Um, but but also the, the monsters in the, in, the, in, the, in the labyrinth itself were quite unnerving. Mm. Uh, and, of course, he did the same thing in Hellboy, the monster designs in that were very original and unnerving. Mm. So you might be expecting something resembling a horror film here. I don't think this is a horror film. Uh, I think this is a film about hubris. Yeah. Um, and I guess you might call it a, a thriller, a drama, crime thriller. Yeah, I guess. Um, there's, These, I just don't think people need to be worried about massive amounts of violence in this film or blood and guts, where is some violence in the film, mm. but it is restrained and used incredibly effectively to really highlight a point where he wants to make yeah. a point. There are some very high points of, of significant mm. violence. Yes gory it's significant and i think that he's used it judiciously Mm. in a way that really helps drive home a scene he uses it to to emphasize a point rather than to just elicit an a cheap reaction from the audience um what i find interesting is looking at del toro's development as a director and the source material that he does like he started off doing a lot of monster movies and um those lower budget things like he and he's worked with ron perlman for pretty much every movie that he's ever made i think at this point except maybe crimson peak um but um the the nuance of who the monster really is and what the monster really is in his movies changes and the first big one for that was pan's labyrinth where yeah, you've said the the creature construction and the makeup and everything for the for the fawn, for the giant toad, and for the 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 no eyes and things like that is fucking awesome and terrifying. But they weren't as terrifying as the humans in it, and that again in the shape of water, it's a, a, a fish person. But the people are the the monstrous people in that similar um, kind of. It got a bit muddy in Crimson Peak, but again, the the human element of that is the thing that is more terrifying than the ghost element. And now this, where flat out, there's no classic quintessential monster in this, but the people in it, many of them are monstrous. I have a, a question for you. Did you see the end coming? Your superpower is spoiling films for yourself. I didn't see it ending well for um, for Stanton. I didn't see the 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 reveal. I guess is the best way of putting it without spoiling it. And looking back at it, I should have because it's foreshadowed. But it's so it's it's the right kind of foreshadowing. So like, oh, don't worry about that. That's fine. Look at. Just, just keep talking about this. the story's progressing. You saw something, but that's fine. Keep going. And I didn't feel like I lost anything. It wasn't until I was kind of driving home that I suddenly thought, fuck, how did I not see that? Wow. I saw it, but I didn't see it. And it's it was brilliant. 
Absolutely. I have a we have a, a turn up for the books here, people. Take note of this. Write it down. Take a photo. You saw it, you saw it coming. I saw the ending coming. Probably not at the start. I most of saw it at the start of the film, um, or initially during the, the the point in time in the film where it does foreshadow it, mm. um, serially. But shortly beforehand, probably twenty minutes before the end, I'm like, oh, okay. I think mm. I see where this is going to end now. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's a very unusual feeling. What? Where did that come from? <laughs> um, but um, didn't for me in this case actually um, take away from mm. the very powerful ending of the film mm. um, and you do kind of find yourself going why did I notice that when they foreshadowed it um, but you said you said, it's almost the prestige right of mm. don't look over there look over here that's it that's it exactly it's and it was this is just del Toro has refined his storytelling method and had re- revised his um, revelation of character information to such incredible heights here. And part of me, it was quite interesting. I, um, as I was driving home, I downloaded the soundtrack as well, which um, is really good. Um, and I'm it's Nathan something Nathan uh, Nathan Johnson and I was listening to it and the the kind of the the main theme for it there's almost like um, it kind of elicits this sensation of like an old timey music box and that's very fitting for for the way that the story opens and the way it plays out it's it feels like del toro has gone in there and every single um cog is perfectly in time with every other little bit to create this one perfect moment and he pulls everything together to bring to bring it together and side note as i was listening to it i just suddenly thought ah i really want del toro to just be given free reign on something like if he was just given like um like a detective thriller story, story thing. And I thought, oh, you know, it's like a Del Toro version of Knives Out. And then I realized Nathan Johnson actually did the music for Knives Out. Wow, like, there you oh, go. Okay. <laughs> I see where that thought came from. But at the same time, I'd love that. <laughs> uh, I think we've um, probably splooged over this film quite enough yeah. now. Uh, I'm going to say that if you have a chance, do see it. If you're in the States, as I said, I think it's on one of the streaming services there. You can actually watch it now. Uh, if you've got, maybe it's HBO Max, I don't know. Um, yeah. But uh, if you can catch it at a theater, I think it would probably be worth that as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And if you can see it in the black and white, <sighs> chef kiss, stunning work, stunning. Now, is it time for our sponsors? It is. <gasps> Goodness me, look at that. I knew something, ladies and gentlemen. It happened. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a night of firsts here. <laughs> Sponsors. Okay. So who are our sponsors this week? Our sponsor this week is Agro's Cartoon Connection from 1991. For all your connection needs. Well, this is a little before your time, so I doubt very much this is gonna make a lot of sense, but those they are my <laughs> Do. I had someone last week actually comment to me that they had completely forgotten about Double Dare until we got to the physical challenge section, uh, which is burnt into our memories as young Australians watching that. Um, but 
Agro's cartoon connection, well, it was a bit of a staple. Okay, okay. A second. They queued up. God, the professionalism is just on point. Wow, <laughs> I really should be better at this. I do visit work all day. No, I got the single. Have I don't think the album's out yet. Is it? Well, yes, I'll it be is. out by now, yeah. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> uh, I wasn't out six weeks ago. Oh, isn't it? Oh, well, I might borrow it off you when you get it and we can tape that. So, and, and my friend bought... You yeah. had a haircut. Uh, no. You um, have had a haircut <laughs> and you didn't ask me. Remember I you got the trouble last time? I don't need to ask you. I don't need to ask you. My mother goes, she reckons it looks like a preschooler's haircut. Does now. Oh, stop it. Actually, this looks funny on there. This is a really nice blue. It comes up different on the telly. Yeah. Oh, never mind. I uh, guess what? I, what? My friend bought me, you know that, um, I should go and get it. I should go and get it. It's downstairs. That uh, song of the Nescafe ad. You know that French one? You sing it. You sang it the other week. Yeah, that's it. I can hear somebody singing it upstairs. You know? Oh, it's on the new Sue Clacker album too. That's French. <laughs> you will get into so much trouble for saying that. Why? I wouldn't say it if I She's a good friend of mine. She is too. I know her, yeah. She's a lovely lady. Alright, Agro, what's the first cartoon? I went to her sports races at her school. What do you mean? She was in the 400 metres. And I was going to go, Gave me a clacker! Gave me a clacker! Gave me a clacker! And she won. <laughs> You're a moron. You're the one talking to a piece of carpet, and you're calling me a moron? I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. Oh, it started um, early. You're not going to get through six shows? I'm not going to get through six. I'm sorry, Wayne. Let's have a look at... Have you seen this cartoon? Ooh. Have you seen this cartoon, this Gravedale High? Is it any good? Uh, it's not bad. I like... It's I bet, okay. Is it? It's okay. You know what I think is a good one? What? Uh, Oh, that, um, Jetsons one, that's it. Oh, I'm not going to make it today. Coca-Cola. Hey, first host. Coca-Cola. <laughs> what do you do? You sound like a crow. Do I? Yeah. Just call me Graham. No, no, no. No, no, no. So, Agra, what hey, you, you didn't say good day to Wally yet. Okay. Good morning, Wally. Wally, Wally. No, 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 no. You turn around and you go, good morning, Wally. Good morning, Wally. Wally, Ben Abbott. Wally, Wally, Wally. Wally. And when that first state of origin game was played here at Lang Park in July 19... Okay, can we just look... Can we just look at the noise music that we get? What the hell was that? That was the quality of children's TV in the early 90s in Australia. Um... I don't know so, what that was. A little bit of explainer that was Agro. Agro was the puppet. Um, I guess. <laughs> the, the person next was Anne Marie, but um, I don't know. Agro was um, kind of a staple on Australian television uh, for okay. a very long time there. Um, one of the more amusing things you can do is if you're very curious, and I don't imagine anybody is, but you can actually go onto YouTube and find some outtakes from that TV show because um, I think. If I'm mistaken, the guy who had his hand in the puppet got his start as a comedian doing doing comedy. It was very much not suitable for children's television. 
um, <laughs> and was not afraid of actually continuing on with that um, after uh, off the air on that show so you could find some truly disturbing language for a children's TV show. Um, and that was the person they were yelling Wally to was Wally Lewis, who was a uh, an Australian rugby league foot, um, player okay. uh, of, of some renown in the 80s and 90s. All right, all right. Cool. Uh, there you go. So I shouldn't usually have to explain. She'll have to, she'll have to find something next week which um which uh, won't take explanation. Maybe some Blue Peter or something. Ooh, I don't know if we can afford the the rights for Blue Peter. <laughs> Maybe or something. Sooty when you were a kid? I did, yeah, Sooty and Sweet. I had a, I had an original Sooty puppet. That was a shit. There you go. Maybe we'll find I'll try and find some Sooty for us next week. We'll get into negotiations. Sooty's people will talk to our people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Sooty's people don't talk. They'll just make random arm gestures, and we'll figure it out. Yeah. Now, before we go any further down the rabbit hole, we need to talk about the finale of peacemaker mm. um yes we can probably cover it quickly i think so far today we were fans of the mm-hmm. series um i thought it was reasonably good oh okay um i it didn't blow me away mm-hmm. but i felt they stuck the landing well enough um, that that um it was it paid off of show well enough it wasn't mm-hmm. the best thing I've ever seen. It wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I um, it did obviously um, it's uh, attracted a bit of controversy. Mm-hmm. The controversy over the last week, the um, the Snyder fanboys weren't mm-hmm. happy um, with a number of aspects of the final episode. So if you haven't seen, I think you need to put the spoiler thing in yeah, there. Spoilers is like, up, ladies and gentlemen. You, you've had a week, but you know if you don't want to know what happened, you can mm-hmm. tune out now. Um, where the Justice League show up, mm-hmm. um, and we have actually actual uh, Ezra Miller as Flash and Jason Momoa as Aquaman, where mm-hmm. we have uh, Wonder Woman and Superman in silhouette only, mm-hmm. um, and no sign of um, the the rogue guy, um, whatever his name was, Ray Fisher or Batman. Well, pff, of course not Batman. Um, so, uh, there are all the people with Snyder people like, what's going on? Is this just erasing the Snyderverse? I'm like, guys, if you haven't already figured out that the Snyderverse has been erased, you're going to be <laughs> for a bad year. Well, like, just wait until the end of uh, the Flash movie and then it'll be officially removed. Which is apparently what's happening. But anyway, I thought it was yeah. funny. I think yeah. I also heard that they didn't, people in the Snyder camp weren't really big fans of the, uh, Aquaman fucks fish joke. And it's a, you know that kind of upset them as well. But again, I thought it was funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I thought the final episode that was actually a, a nice highlight. Um, probably the, the best part for me was the way they treated uh, Robert Patrick and uh, mm. Ghost Dad. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I need that to be a huge part of season two, but mm. I liked the way it ended in season one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, it 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 hit every note that it needed to. Um, it's, I don't know what they could have done to make it fucking wow for me because the consistency and the level of quality throughout the whole thing was so high, so strong throughout the whole thing. 
I legitimately, as a storyteller, I don't know what they would, what they, what I would do to go. Yeah, okay. And now this is the next step. Because That's a good point. I don't have notes for James yeah. Gunn. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I did see some people complaining about some of the banter in parts of it. Like there's the part where they're arguing about ants and whether ants are important. And um, but I'm like, have you watched the previous six episodes? It's completely in character with what these characters yeah. do. Exactly. It's take yeah. I mean, sure, take it out of context, then it's it seems weird for for that kind of stuff to be in a finale. But it would feel weird to not have that in a finale, given everything else that happened in the other episodes. So it's that's a weird weird comment for someone to make. Um, I I think that I'm curious as to what they're going to do for season two as well, because that has officially been greenlit now. Um, it's it's going to be curious to see if they are going to still try and lean on it, the Justice League or the, the Suicide Squad elements of it, because I feel like Peacemaker and his little team have kind of evolved to a point where they don't necessarily need those points of reference anymore. And given the way that the story is and the way that James Gunn is, there are obviously going to be those references to to Batmite and to Justice League and that sort of stuff. That's that's part of the, the fabric of it. But I wonder if it's going to be a little bit more kind of, all right, these guys are now our Task Force X and this is their new story that's going to just feed but Yeah, on. I mean, the temptation might be to rotate some of those other Suicide Squad characters. I mean, we don't know exactly what they're planning to do next with someone like Harley Quinn. Mm. Um, who is far too popular of a character for them to just sideline. I mean, she's, the biggest thing that came out of a Suicide Squad films was Margot Robbie. Um, yep. So I don't know what Margot is. Margot's a busy lady, you know? Yeah. Like, it'd be nice if they could find a spot for something for yeah. her to do. Um, but we've also heard, we talked a few weeks ago about there potentially being a second spinoff of mm. Suicide Squad. And given the success of Peacemaker that would appear like more likely than not, but we don't know who it's going to be about. You know, mm. I, my vibe is it'd be more likely about Ratcatcher than, mm. than Harley Quinn, just given yeah. uh, the, how, how um, Margot Robbie's uh, schedule must be. But um, I, I was, I, was, I think overall the show was a massive success for me. Uh, I, we talked about it at length before about how much fun it was, how heartwarming it was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't doing anything particularly new. Someone did point out to me this week that, um, uh, all James Gunn ever does is father-son stories. And I'm like, oh, oh you know, father-daughter in, in the case of Suicide Squad. I'm like, yeah, but Spielberg's been doing that for 40 years and it worked <laughs> for him. Um, yeah. So and... I can't claim that it's doing anything new or original or particularly, you know, mm. anything we haven't seen anywhere before. But it's just doing, as you noted there, everything so consistently. And just sort of hitting, you know, a good eight, eight or nine, all those marks of, you know, mm. action, comedy, heart you know, acting, special effects. Now, it doesn't look cheap. No. You know, no, a lot of... Te- if I watch the CW superhero shows, they look super fucking cheap mm-hmm. um, and cheesy and childish. I, I don't understand how that, that universe ever got so big, but this doesn't. It's, I mean, maybe this had, I would imagine, a significantly high budget per episode, but um, it, it just did everything it needed to do exactly right. And when mm-hmm. you have a storyteller of the quality of James Gunn, yeah, you can. I can see why people now suspect, or at least suggest, he could be the new uh, Zack Snyder at DC. 
if he yeah. wanted to do it. Yeah, I, I would imagine that he's had the offer, considering how well the fans are generally vibing with him, um, the financial success that he has with his movies now. He is... He is doing something unusual in the industry and straddling both Marvel and DC. And it's going to be interesting to see what what comes out of that after Guardians 4, uh, 3, or whichever one they're on now, 3? Yeah, 3, Guardians 3. And they've got the Christmas movie apparently as well. And he's, he's still got a few bits, but he's also made a DC movie. He's made season one of two so far for DC. He is overseeing a spin-off for another one. And he's probably had numerous other just them going to him. It's like, which character would you like to do now? I would imagine he writes his own ticket um, from yeah. here. Yeah. Um, and good luck to him. I am a big, I'm a bit of a fanboy now, I must say. I'm a, I'm a James Gunn fanboy. I like pretty much everything he's done. Yeah, same. Going back to going back to Tromeo and Juliet. <laughs> I still personally, I, I think that his high for me was Sliver. Uh, super for me. I, I liked. I think he 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 saw where superhero films were going. Yeah, in fifteen years before everyone else did. Yeah. Um, and um, it's I show I show I still recommend that film today, and I, most people who can can be bothered watching it agree mm. it's a great film. Hundred mm. percent. Take that crime. Okay. Shut up, uh, shut up, crime. Yeah. What are we going to uh, talk about now? I would like to talk quickly about the Tinder Swindler, if I could, because I've been meaning to do a rundown for a little bit now. Okay. And so, pretty much everyone cool. in the country has Netflix now, so you've probably seen it um, popping up as it was like one of the most viewed things on, um, on, on Netflix there for a while, and everyone was talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is Grifter Month here on uh, in, in the world of entertainment because we just talked about the Grifters in um, mm-hmm. uh, Nightmare Alley. Uh, there's another one I think uh, it's got um, what's her name in it from uh, Veep. It's about uh, inventing Anna. It's on Netflix at the moment, which I haven't got around to watching it. And then there's the Tinder Swindler. So this is a documentary, a Netflix documentary, but it's actually pretty good, which is a shame. Sorry, it's a change. Sorry for what it's done. <laughs> Netflix documentaries. Because uh, they're mostly us. Um, but this one's pretty good. Posing as a wealthy jet-setting diamond mogul, he wooed women online, then conned out of millions of dollars. Now some victims plan for payback. I'm dead certain there's a there's a there's a daytime movie, you know, a Hallmark movie of a week being made mm. of this right now. Um, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is totally going to be in it. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this is a documentary about. Um, a, a sort of a group of women uh, and their encounters with a V Tinder swindler himself, which is a gentleman who goes by many names. A gentleman's a stretch. A Simon Le- Leviev or Leviev. Um, he has a number of different names he uses. Um, and we are introduced to uh, initially, I forget her name, uh, Cecile, I think. Uh, they're, 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 these women are um, Scandinavian. So, okay. um, they, they, they struggle to remember their names a little bit because it was a few weeks ago. But we introduced to a series of women who are regular Tinder users who happened to swipe right on Simon and mm-hmm. met him, were wooed by him, fell in love with him, and then were conned by him. So his basic um, modus operandi 
is to pose as it sort of says as a, a diamond uh, a, a diamond billionaire millionaire kind of guy a, a, an heir to a diamond empire and his playbook is to meet women very quickly after matching with them on Tinder uh, mm. show off his wealth in one case he flies a woman on a private jet to Bulgaria or somewhere Romania it was I think it was okay. um, in like the first few days of knowing her to show off that he really is you know someone of, of great means Mm. At the same time, obviously, he has he's very good looking, quite charming, and sweeps these women off their feet. And actually, these women believe they are in a relationship, but he is their boyfriend. Mm. Give it a few months, he starts to build up the impression that, and actually, all the way through his actual relationship, he's foreshadowing that he has enemies and that he has to have bodyguards around him and such as a, as a result of his enemies. Mm. Uh, and he'll start to build the idea that he's in danger. And that his enemies are after him, and he needs to borrow some money to because his credit card has been compromised or something of that nature. Okay. And that sort of rolls into it, gets, and he sort of becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. He's so good at what he does that these women end up lending him sometimes up to $250,000. They get taking out loans in order to pay him money to, um, to actually to, to pay for his fictitious you know legal problems or whatever is going on what in fact he's actually doing it's almost a ponzi scheme he's taking money off this girlfriend in order to show off to the next girlfriend that he's wealthy and actually a millionaire and take them on jets and stay at five-star resorts and go to super expensive restaurants and you know go to exclusive clubs and so he's using her money to woo her which will eventually he will use her money to woo the next one it's a he's paying it's and what a weird choice of scheme it is because of how much he's actually building up i mean it seems like he's doing pretty well for himself at the end of a film let me tell you so i guess the great scandal in this film is that he was a wanted man at the time of filming Hmm. and he was eventually captured and did a very short amount of prison time in his native israel where he's actually from a very short amount of time so, uh, and it took like a week after the documentary came out before Tinder actually said, actually, we might kick you off the platform, mate. Um, because there's a responsible organization, Tinder. Wow. Those guys. Wow. Um, uh, you know, you've used Tinder. I think you understand the quality of some of the people on there is to be. Yeah. Yeah. There are some good people, obviously, but so some of them are very good people. I understand it, but they're not sending us their best. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but I guess that's, that's essential scandal that the, the interesting plot twist comes where one girl realizes that um he um is a scammer and she's his last link she's the last link in the chain who can give him money and without her to give him money he's kind of cornered because there was a uh, one of the standard i forget which one of the scandinavian countries are all bloody the same finland i think <laughs> they would have had a newspaper report about this guy so his face started getting out there. So his set of opportunities to scam people started to dry up a little bit. And one of the women he'd been scamming was his last link in the chain. He, he yeah. didn't know, but she knew that he was a scammer. So okay. he was trying to scam her for money. And she kind of kept it playing out, playing out, playing out. Um, and actually managed to, um, uh, what was it, repossess is maybe the polite way to put it. Uh, a significant amount of his property, which she continues to sell in order to try and make back the money that she loaned him. 
So there was a nice little juicy hook there of payback for some of the women involved. Okay. okay. But the sour taste, like I said, ends with he's still at large. He's still mm. at living normally because he's not wanted anywhere, right? Mm. Uh, he's done his crime. He's teased his prison time in, in Israel. And that his victims are still paying off the debts that they took out to give to him. That's gross. That's um, gross. It's gross. Um, what's more gross, I guess, is the reaction to the film for a lot of people has been serious incel behavior. Like I, I saw somebody with a blue tick. I kind of don't even know it was a rapper or, or something on, on Facebook who was sort of saying, oh, the Tinder Swindle is about this guy who scams women to you know, women paying him money for, you know, dates or whatever. Uh, whereas, you know, that's been happening to men for a long time. They just call it women. Um, oh, and I'm like, oh, champ, that's seriously nice guy incel behavior right there. That's some bullshit. Um, but and I think, though, what was interesting was there was a, a comment for, I don't even know how I found this guy's page. There was a comment for about 50 comments underneath it from men and women agreeing with him. Wow. So um, yet again, we this has actually been an opportunity to have a bit of a deep dive into some disgusting attitudes that um, men have towards women. Yeah. Whereas my disgusting attitudes are just towards people who got scammed. Um, you know, I don't care if you're a man or woman. But if you get scammed, I, I, my reaction to this film was a little bit: How convincing is this guy? Like, I'm not saying these women are lying. I'm not saying that they were wrong and that they deserved it or anything of that nature. I was just surprised that people would take loans out to give someone money mm. in a few months. Like, or and, like I said, one of the girls got on a plane to Romania yeah. in the first week of knowing the guy. I'm like, fuck it. I wouldn't, most women when I was dating wouldn't go to your house. Or like, they probably wouldn't have dinner with you. Maybe you want to have drinks or a coffee. It's the loaf. Like, let alone getting on a private jet with you to Eastern Europe. It's a different world, man. It's a different world. Is the only only explanation I can have for that. Because, I mean, just going the idea of going to a bank, like different different phraseology. I've got a mortgage, so yes, I've got a multi thousand dollar loan with the bank but I have a house for that. And the amount of paperwork and process that I had to go through to get that, I just suddenly some girl that I meet online flies me around for a little bit. And then a couple of weeks later, they're saying, oh, I need help. I was like, yeah, well, good luck. Cause bank's not going to give me that money. <laughs> I feel like it's, he must be have a very fine tuned way of a sense of picking his victims or he just picks a lot of victims and choose through people until he finds someone who can actually yeah. a convince and b has the means to actually give him this kind of help yeah. um because you're right i would never have had the kind of capacity to do that yeah. um but uh, it's aside from the paperwork involved in getting all these loans and credit cards for him it's just i i what it did teach me was that i am a cynical asshole who doesn't trust anybody um <laughs> because like i think um I think if you asked me for a loan for a hundred thousand dollars, so because you, you had enemies in the diamond, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'd be like, "What do you need that money? That seems like a lot of money, you know." Like, I'm not just going to give you all this money, you know. Like, it's I'd be very, very suspicious. I recall an occasion a few years ago. I was in Paris 
one of my many trips to Paris. Um, yeah. um, and I was sculling a beer next to the Eiffel Tower. As you do, I am Australian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was with um, uh, my, my ex-wife at the time, who, who when there was a guy walking, some very cute dogs nearby, and he started to strike up a conversation with us. And his English was very good. Yeah. Like, surprisingly good. We were in a non-speaking country. Oh, no, I speak English everywhere in France. And, like, I was instantly, she, and my ex-wife was totally entranced with his dogs and talking to this guy who said he lived nearby. Oh, it's my place over there. I'm like, oh, yeah, the Eiffel Tower's in your bloody backyard, mate, is it? Yeah. Um, and I was just like, hang on. Like, she's completely engrossed in this conversation with this guy and with dogs and how awesome it is to meet this friendly French local. I'm like, okay, where's it, Where's the scam? The scam's yeah. coming, man. It's coming. Is there, is there, you're working with someone. Is there going to be a pickpocket here somewhere? Mm-hmm. Distract us. You take your wallet. Like I was like head on a swivel. Yeah. Um, now we didn't get scammed and I don't think, I actually think he might've just been a friendly Frenchman, but I, I think I can be forgiven. For being, things, uh, I think I can be forgiven for being confused about that. When have you ever met a friendly French person, uh, especially in Paris? I mean, it's... there is, there is a thing for that though. The French apparently are very friendly with everyone who is not English. Or Australian, apparently. Any nice people I met in Paris weren't French. Um, <laughs> well, the cab driver airport was Romanian. He was lovely. Of England, so why even giving you a, a moment's thought? So uh, it's just a story. So I'm a very suspicious person of mm. everyone, really, to a degree. Like, especially mm. if I haven't known you for years, it's kind of like, hmm, you know... Uh, I guess sort of I was surprised. Yeah. The willingness of people to suspend their disbelief, to, you know, quiet down their their worst nature of their brain and sense, no, no, this is my boyfriend. They've only known him a few months and he's got this very sketchy story about mm-hmm. diamonds. But, you know, I'll, I'll loan him a quarter of a million dollars, no worries. Yeah. I I mean, I, I'm, I'm the same as you. I I don't trust anyone. I've worked in retail for far too long. When someone comes in... And they're carrying your shop's bag. And it's like, okay, here we go. That's the, the first thought that comes through. Is like, I'm going to be told a tale of woe and why this is all my fault and why they get to have their money back and blah, 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 blah. It's like, you realize that you spent more money than you should have and you want to bring it back, but you also want to use it for more than just the one week refund policy. So mm, you're going to spin me some shit. No, I, I think maybe it is. I worked in I worked in call center, which isn't exactly retail, but it's almost as bad. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I've I've had that was for it was for a financial institution, mm-hmm. um. And people spin shit to me all day, making up lies in order to get me to do things. I, maybe it's why I don't trust people. I don't know, but and I'm not. I, I'm really not trying to be a bastard about it and go these women deserve it or anything like that. After what I just said about the assholes online, who were saying I'm not saying that. I'm just saying. Anybody, anybody, you get scammed by Nigerian princes or oh, those know, are the ATO called me and said they want me to pay a thousand dollars in iTunes cards. I mean, like, you know, where is your engage critical? Re- if you I guess if you're 85 or something, that's probably you know, I get it, right? These are intelligent, mm-hmm. educated, urbane, experienced women in the dating game. I sort of talked about having been using Tinder for years and like. Lots of scammers are everywhere on Tinder. So I don't, I just, it's an interesting documentary from that perspective to see 
how effective some of these scammers can be. And so maybe it's a public service announcement for a lot of people to go, hey, maybe you aren't as smart as you think you are. Maybe I'm not as smart as I think I am, and I could get taken by one of these people if they were clever enough. Um, but, you know, I guess my first reaction is someone said, I want to fly you on a private jet somewhere, would be like, me? Yeah. You don't want to fly me anywhere. You don't want to give me taxi fare. You know, like, it's just... You don't oh, know where I've been or what I've touched, sir. This is a wise choice for you. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's an interesting watch. It's an entertaining little story. It will almost certainly turn into a film at some point, I'm sure of it. Um, I hope this guy gets his shit caved in because he's a genuine piece of shit, a horrible human being. Um, and I guess the lesson for all of us is uh, be a little bit more suspicious of people you don't know very well, at least mm -hmm. when, especially when they're, ask you to take out massive loans for them yeah yeah no just just no don't nope 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 this guy i mean to be clear this guy covered his tracks pretty well he had a pretty good google uh imprint right like you googled him an imprint you came up with shit so he, he astroturfed pretty well um <laughs> hopefully that's not happening anymore his name and his face is everywhere because he's on the yeah. mass but you know I guess that's just the lesson for me is be a bit more suspicious. Ask questions. Yeah. Don't trust people unless you really know them. And yep. if something if yeah, and that comes back to especially when they start asking for money for things. I just yeah. feel like that, mm, that just that is an instant red, massive red flag. More red flags in Tiananmen Square for me on that one. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. All right. Now I would like to just talk a little bit about Sea of Thieves, if that's okay. Yes, you. Yes, yes, yes. This is the um, pirate game. Yes, this is the rare, um, as in company, rare, owned by Xbox and Microsoft. It is their online pirate experience extravaganza. They are strong, especially because of Xbox Game Pass. It's on there. You can just play it and... This is one of the games that it's designed to very much be as fun as you want to make it with friends. This is not a fun game to play on your own, but I've been I have noted that. This mm. is a shit game. So that's what I, like, I also I downloaded it and played it for a while. I'm like, you were raving about it. I'm like, this is boring. It must be a lot of fun with other people. Well, it's... The, the the overall demeanor of it is really toxic. Um, but when you have a, a crew and you all know what you want to do, it kind of ends up being a little bit like what happens in a Dungeons & Dragons party where you've got this quest to go on. you got to find this buried treasure. Okay, so we're going to like go look at the map. Oh, someone's purposely getting drunk and throwing up on the map so we can't see the map. Okay, very funny. Ha ha. Um, you know what? I'm going to put you in the cannon and fire you off. Oh, what were we doing? Oh, that's right. We were going to go and get treasure, I think. But there's some things over there. Let's go see what that is. It's all about distraction and just playing. But they have been consistently evolving the game and um the persistent the one persistent thing of the game has been that it's a shared world and you can be going around doing all these quests and having your own fun but every now and then you'll come across a ghost ship or the kraken or a megalodon that'll try and attack you or you'll randomly come up against another pirate ship 
and sometimes they will be friendly. Other times they will fuck you, and quite frequently they will fuck you. Are these pirate ships played by other human players or by other players? Yes, by other players live in the same uh, same server as you. Um, prime example of this fuckery: we, myself, Patrick, and Eric, we had our crew, and we decided there was this island, and it had this kind of whirling windmill of fire coming out of it and we thought okay let's go check that out turns out that it was a very very big skeleton pirate that was vomiting fire and um raising fire and exploding uh things and it was a boss fight it was a boss rush and we went through and we killed it first time and pa uh, patrick was there taking pot shots i was going in with my sword eric pulled the ship up a little closer and was using the cannons to attack him from distance. He died. And then phase two happened. And almost instantly, he's, he pulled down a meteor shower from above and completely crippled our ship. Both masts were over the side. There were holes. So Eric was running around trying to put out fires and repair the ship, whilst I was running around like an idiot going, <laughs> attacking him. And Patrick was just <laughs> going, don't touch my chicken that he had put in the fire to cook it so that he could get boosts for his health um during that i ran away and ran over the hill of this little island and i saw another um player ship on the far side and i was like oh guys there's another player ship here it's just a single one they don't i can't see them but that's fine we kept fighting and i died tons and tons of times i came back and eventually we finally killed the boss and it was amazing yeah we did it there was tons of loot everywhere it was great we started pulling it all off one of the chests was called a chaos chest didn't realize that explodes so that put a big hole in our ship and then just as that happened that other player ship came around the island and torpedoed our ship, killed us entirely, and stole all of our stuff. And so after that, we got pissed, and we thought, all right, we'll try and catch him before he has to drop his stuff off at the um, the Reaper uh, the Reaper hut. Um, but then we got distracted, and then we uh, got back to the ship and we got bored, so we decided, yeah, let's just set fire to our own ship. And we did. And we climbed up the mast and we all just played our musical instruments as the ship sank. <laughs> and that was fun because it was just tragic and stupid. And we got fucked entirely. But at the same time, we had fun. That's what the game is. I guess that's a purely multiplayer, in other words. Yeah, you could... I mean, if you're really, really good, you could probably have fun with this. And they do make kind of allocations, like if you're in a, in a sloop for one player or two players and you happen to come across the Megalodon, your, ta uh, your cannons do more damage. The Megalodon doesn't do quite as much damage on your ships. But at the same time, it could. we've been in situations where the Megalodon was attacking us whilst also having a ghost ship there and another player ship, and it's just a mess. So if, as a single player that could be really fucking annoying. If you're trying to just loot and get grab stuff and shit just happens or this crew of four comes along and just wrecks you, it that would be very pissed off. And 
I can understand that. But at the same time, because there's no real story, there is like an adventure element to it now. They've incorporated that. But the main game itself is just these loot drops and just buying cosmetics for your pirate, for your ship, for your cannons, buying a pet and things like that. No weapon is stronger than another. There's no leveling or anything like that. So you're not going to suddenly have someone level 99 poning you from the very beginning or anything like that. Everyone's the same. It's just a matter of how good are you at, at shooting someone and how sneaky can you be? And like um, Patrick decided to swim on onto the an opposing ship one night and he took with him some exploding uh, gunpowder, put it in the bottom of their ship and blew it up. Killed all of them, sunk their ship and he stuck around so all of the treasure from their ship floated to the surface i sailed the ship over and we took all their stuff <laughs> it's great it's shit it's great it's shit <laughs> well i, I guess it, it's, it's kind of reinforces what i've heard about the game in the sense like and that's the problem for games like that for me is the fact that i don't have anyone to play those games with so um they get to come kind of it's a bit like um uh, back for blood like that game, um, the game yeah. really does require a multiplayer team, and unfortunately, playing with you guys when everybody's piss fighting around, um, <laughs> there's a game that's not, not designed. <laughs> it's not designed for piss fighting around. <laughs> I am not a good gamer. I love no, it. no, and that's it. You have to be good at it. And there's another. That's another game that actually expects you to be kind of good at it. Yeah. Um, and it, you know. Uh, we aren't, and uh, hence, uh, if you, it's probably why we end up piss fighting around in that game. Because yeah, it's like, I know that I'm going to die, so I'll start being stupid from the beginning. Have you ever tried No Man's Sky? No. You guys might want to give that a go at some point. It's a little bit more, not quite as silly as like, um, okay. as um, uh, Sea of Thieves, but it's um, similarly, it's a massively open world game that can be. I imagine would be a lot of fun if you um, had a crew of people. Uh, And, you know, there's a game that got a horrible reputation for the condition it launched in, which I think Sea of Thieves had a similar problem, um, but has continued to be worked on by the developer. Absolutely. The the next game that I'm looking forward to is Tiny Tina's Wonderland from Gearbox. Dungeons & Dragons meets Borderlands, basically, and I am all for that. Yeah, the Tiny Tina expansion, everyone really enjoyed that. Um, I think I was, don't know if I ever actually played it because I I played and finished that game. It was Borderlands 2, I think, that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and finished it so quickly. And then I finished the two first two DLCs, which point I was just kind of like over it. And like I kind of <laughs> Borderlanded out. And at which point they brought out Tiny Tina's extension, which apparently was the best one of all of them. So that's mm-hmm. what I get. You missed the opportunity, my friend. Missed well, it's still there if I ever want to give it a go, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> and there is um, now a whole game about it. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for indulging me on my mad ramblings of Sea of Thieves. You do make it, you do it. It's a good advertisement if you have friends who are interested in playing it with you. It's like I say, it's, it's shit fun. <laughs> it's entirely arcadey in its feel. And that is very much the kind of games I was talking to someone today about. Um, one of the reasons why I'm not much of a fan of the games on PlayStation is because they take themselves very seriously and they are serious games. And I love a serious single narrative story. Um, I'm always serious. 
Shut up, Siri. Seriously, Apple. Just trying to get <laughs> word in everywhere, for fuck's sake. Um, this episode brought to you by Siri. Um, but I just love those pick-up-and-play, dumb, fun ones that Nintendo is infamous for. They they know how to make simple games, but are just repetitive and fun and engaging, and that couch co-op kind of feel. I grew up on the N64, for God's sake, so multiplayer in the same room, shouting at each other, playing GoldenEye, mines only. Whoever got the first kill, you'd suddenly get six because you'd laced every spawn point with mines. All of that dumb stuff that it doesn't actually take skill at all. It's just silly. It's fun running around as odd job and using the karate chop and killing everyone with one hit. That's what Sea of Thieves is. It's dumb fun. Yep, yeah, it is a, a, a category of game that is sorely uh, lagging these days in some games. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit like, I know you can do that kind of thing on GTA Online. But yeah. again, there's a game you absolutely do not want to go near. Well, I guess, period. You just don't want to go near it. But if you knew there were four or five other people who wanted to play it as well, there might be an argument for giving it a go. Yeah. But even then, it's like because of the leveling in that game, it's like, yeah, newbies, not welcome in that game. No. No. Unless you well, want to spend millions on credits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to, if you've got a stolen credit card or something, which you absolutely yeah. shouldn't. Um, <laughs> unless you happen to be named Simon and from Europe and not Tinder. Um, <laughs> I have uh, one more thing to talk about for myself this evening, if uh, mm. you're uh, done with... Um, please, please. please and that please. is the... And this is probably uh, probably my recommendation of the week, actually, apart from Nightmare Alley. If you're on the TV front, I have started watching the new Apple TV series, Severance. Oh, okay. So this, this is... is it. not the Danny Dyer. Dyer. Sorry? This is not the Danny Dyer thing, then. No, Danny Dyer's not involved. I don't know what that is, but... Um, uh, Apple TV are kicking some serious goals at the moment. Like they have got some quality, quality material. Of course, Morning Wars or Morning Show, depending on where you're from. Um, for oh, all mankind, this is the Ben Stiller thing. It's the Ben Stiller thing. So this show is directed by Ben Stiller. It is not. Um, it is not um, starring Ben. At least not in the first two episodes, which I've seen. Um, Severance is a workplace sci-fi drama mm -hmm. mark leads a team of office workers whose memories have been surgically divided between their work and personal lives when a mysterious colleague appears outside of work it begins a journey to discover the truth about their jobs so it stars um uh, adam scott as mark mm -hmm. uh, adam scott you're probably best known from the office i think he was in um and a few other things. He's a very familiar face. He was in a show which um, was criminally underrated called Party Down um, yeah. about years ago. Um, if you ever find Party Down somewhere, I recommend giving it a look. But I think his best thing was the um, was uh, the Office, if I'm not mistaken. I'll be corrected if I'm. I never watched it. <laughs> um, other better other names you're probably going to know in here is John Turturro. Mm -hmm. um, from all the Coen Brothers films that he did. Mm -hmm. uh, he starts as uh, Mark's co-worker Irving. Um, Patricia Arquette as Harmony, who is um, uh, Mark's boss and neighbour. Uh, we also have Christopher Walken popping up in here. Um, uh, Zach Cherry, you're probably going to recognise him. He plays Dylan Zach Cherry for me. Mm -hmm. The first place I recognise him from 
So I'm pretty sure he was in Shang-Chi. Yeah, he was the guy. So like I took some... The bus. Yo, yo, it's the boy. Yeah. I'm going to try and commentate this fight for you, which I thought was actually one of the funnier points in the movie. Um, so he plays Dylan, who is a co-worker of Mark. So um, the show begins with the introduction of Heli, played by Britt Lower, to the team, yeah. working with Mark and Zach and co. I don't know any of her work, but I've been impressed with the first two episodes. Okay. Essentially, as the show, as a synopsis sort of gives it air, this is set in a world or a universe where uh, severance can actually take place. Severance being the surgical separation of your memories at work from your memories outside of work. So you have a version of you who only exists at work. Wow. And you have a version of you who only exists outside of work. And when you're at work, you can't remember anything about yourself outside of work and vice versa. So wow. when you're outside of work, you can't remember what it is you did at work or who you work with or what you do other than where you, you know where you work. You know, I work for this company, the company, and this is um, you know, your stereotypical evil corporation called Lumen. Um, so yeah, Mark uh, will know that he works for Lumen and he works in their archives department, but he yeah. doesn't know what he does there. And he doesn't know any of the people, any of the people. So the fact that his boss at work, played by uh, Patricia Arquette, is actually his next door neighbor. And he doesn't know that. And I mean, we don't know if Patricia knows that yet because, well, it's being a little bit mysterious about that. Okay. But it's kind of hilarious that his annoying next door neighbor is also his boss. Um, <laughs> and that's a really fascinating premise. So okay. the show, episode one, opens with Mark basically being promoted to become the team manager. And he works in a team of four um, because his best friend, Petey, just disappears one day. He doesn't come into work. And he's they're told he doesn't work there anymore, and they don't know why. Um, okay. And he can't ask Petey because he doesn't know Petey outside of work. Um, literally, he doesn't know he exists. Um, so uh, we have a new team member joined, played by Britt Lowry's Helly, and Mark, being the new manager, has to train her, which involves her waking up in on their floor. And I should note that the severed memories, so their work memories, are only kick in on that floor. So this particular basement floor of the building. So once they enter, they have a lift that goes down. They enter the lift as their, what they call their outie, their outside person per, um, personality. Yeah. And by the time they get to the bottom of the lift shaft, they become their innie, their inside work personality. So she okay. is on the basement floor where what they call their severed floor. And Mark has to try and talk her around and actually convince her that she's chosen to do this and make her understand where she is and what the purpose of where she is is. That's a lot of isses. Um, because Helly doesn't remember, doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know what's going on. Um, they have to show her a video that her outie made before as taking the job, but she was comfortable to start to have her memory severed and start working there. Okay. One of the more hilarious, interesting segments, or the most effective segment of the first episode, is Heli. Um, the, the, the training manual says if I ask to leave three times, you take them to the stairwell and point them towards it, and say you can leave. Um, and Heli walks out of that stairwell into out of, down the hallway into the stairwell, and, and then she walks straight back in. She, but she doesn't actually remember what happens when she's out in the stairwell. Her any personality, her work personality, even just remembers exiting the door, and the next thing she remembers is walking right back in. 
in episode two, we actually see the ultimate side of that coin. We see what actually happens in that stairwell. Okay. When he exits. And there's somebody from the company there going, yeah, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Just go back in. You'll be all right. Um, and it's a wonderful concept. I mean, it's brilliant, a brilliant, brilliant concept because right. it's just evil enough. Yeah. You kind of go, somebody somewhere at Google probably or Facebook is going, that's a good idea. Let's, let's make this happen. I mean, it's a bit like when Charlie Brooker comes up with shit and for Black Mirror these days, there's someone somewhere taking, taking notes and going, can we do that? Can we do Can we get away with that? Um, <laughs> so uh, it's the best kind of science fiction for me is where it's just, it's, it's plausible enough to potentially actually happen in reality. Um, obviously, mm. I don't know if such a thing's possible, but you know, you can see somebody trying that. Yeah. So Ben Stiller as the director, how's he doing? First two episodes are brilliant. Okay. The it's has a palpable sense of dread as mm -hmm. well, but just enough, not a massive sense of dread, right? That kind of think um paranoia and dread like in something like the social network. Okay. You, you kind of caught that, that sense of unease and anxiety that kind of permeates that film for me at least because these are bright well-lit clean mm -hmm. open spaces that they work in but yeah. there's something is is a sense of something evil or dark or menacing going on in this company so their jobs are to sort the clean data is what they're doing they're cleaning data okay um that just yeah, sounds suspicious straight away well, if you've ever worked in it, worked in with data, you know that's actually a, a thing you would do. You, yeah. you do actually when you actually have a set of data, you do want to clean it before using it. Um, but um, the way they're doing it is quite unusual. It's like the data is encrypted on their computers, so they have to find groups of numbers on their screen to make them feel an emotional reaction. That's which is quite bizarre, okay. um, and it's really cool. But like. You know, we don't know what this company does. We don't know what they're doing with this data. They don't know what this data is. They don't know. We don't know. Okay. So but what we know is there's something strange going on at this place. It's really weird and it's quite, it feels evil. You just see this being like one of those, one of those vaults you find in Fallout where vault Tech's doing something really fucked up. Mm. Um, and that's how you kind of feel about it. something very, very unnerving going on in this organization. Okay. So. They've, but at the same time, it's not jump scares or anything like that. Um, it's understated. Mm. At the same time, it's quietly amusing in points, like the relationships between the four the workers, especially ones who've worked together for a long time, are interesting and they feel kind of real, but still kind of fucking weird as well because they don't actually know each other um, outside of his workplace. Um, it's also horrifying in part. In episode one, Heli realises... I will never leave this workplace. As far as her, in her head, she never leaves work. Yeah. It's her work personality never experiences the outside world. In episode two, uh, Mark and Heli have a conversation about how they don't know what sleep feels like because they don't experience it. Oh. So it's kind of horrifying, you know, the idea of, and, and I think you've worked in enough shit jobs over your lifetime, as I know I have, um, where you can kind of go, 
I kind of feel like I know what that feels like. <laughs> that feeling of being trapped at work. I was just here, wasn't I? <sighs> it certainly can feel that way, right? Yeah. Um, so okay. uh, it's if you're thinking you're going, thinking it's a laugh out loud comedy or anything like that, just because Ben Stiller's involved, think again, that's not what this is. It's, uh, as I said, it's a sort of fairly dark sort of sci-fi drama. Ben, mm. I think, has done a great job. It's amazing that um, to see him uh, pop up here. Uh, not his usual kind of thing. Mm. I mean, he's been directing more than acting in in recent years. Uh, interestingly, he's created by a guy named Dan Erickson. This is his first credit as writer. Okay. Cool. So um, props to him. Yeah. Uh, he started with something very special, I think. So far, look at two episodes in. Cool. Can't you know? I can't. Um, I can't say that it's um, going to be, you know, the most amazing show ever. After two episodes, we've all seen show, <laughs> two episodes come along and go. Actually, how about I just you know take a shit on the second half of a season, you know, <laughs> or a second, you know, like or just completely not know how it's going to end. I'm looking at you, lost. Um, or Lovecraft Country, you know, good episode to start with, and then just the rest of it was crap. Um, I enjoyed Lovecraft Country. Anyway, so episode one has nine, <laughs> nine episodes. If there's, if everyone's allowed a different opinion. Um, nine episodes so in in, episode, in season one. I, it looks like it's got a season two greenlit already, um, which Wouldn't is surprised. pretty cool. Um, it's not unusual these days. Yeah. But the first two episodes are incredibly strong. So this has um, 8.2. IMDb, mm. um, which is um, you know not a lot of votes, I guess, on here, but it's it's pretty it's a pretty good um it's a pretty good uh, reflection for me. But this is high high quality stuff, mm. um, and I'm I'm in. I am so in. This is exactly my jam. Okay, okay, I'm gonna give it a go. I'm gonna give it a go. I think this is your opinion because it is a little bit outside your um sweet spot but you know at the same time i feel like you might connect with the characters in the story and just having work for people who are horrible this is too real stop it it's like a sci-fi office space you know if someone if they don't slip in a tps report somewhere i'm going to be very disappointed <laughs> just the boss is actually just a red stapler that would be hilarious or if i get gary cole a gary cole cameo would be amazing Yes, yes, that's what we need. We need more Gary Cole. Come on. I think about think, think about though with the kind of characters, the kind of menace I'm talking about here. Well, he was played for laughs mm. in office space. You just that kind of cheerful malevolence mm. that someone like that can bring. Yep. I'm not actually threatening you, but I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've heard someone say that line to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm definitely going to check that out. Was there I, anything else that you wanted to talk about? Or should we stop at the nice two-hour mark? And the two-hour mark, so I might call it there. All right, all right, cool. Well, that is this week's show, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we talked about our chain movie of the week, The Ghost Writer, which was challenging for reasons not tr traditionally associated with why a movie would be challenging. Um, Travis has chosen Thief as the follow-on for that, as well as our um, recommendation from the audience, The Lost Daughter on Netflix. We um, splooged all over Nightmare Alley, had a wonderful time with that. Thank you, Guillermo. Um, we talked about The Tinder Swindler, Sea of Thieves, Peacemaker finale a little bit, 
and finished up just then with Severance on Apple TV. Next week, obviously, we're going to be talking about Thief. Um, I'm going to just do a, a final wrap-up of my thoughts on Legend of Vox Machina Season 1. Um, and I'm going to try and go to get to the cinema to watch a couple of other things because we are two weeks away from the magnum opus, the three-hour spectacular of The Batman. So that is that is coming, coming in hot. Um, it is early advanced screenings on the Wednesday, but um, we will probably not be going to that one so it'll be the following week after that we talk about not that someone wants to give us free tickets in which case that'd be nice we'll consider it yes that'd be nice we would we would postpone the show to watch the movie for you so you have better understanding we nice guys like that yeah that's that's something we would be willing to do on that rambling note ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for joining us this week don't forget to like us share subscribe on facebook on twitter on twitch on youtube it does help a lot and if you have a recommendation for the show pop it in any of the chats there on any of our videos we do see them and we do as you as we will do next week we will talk about them thank you very much good night good night